Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Omega Star 7. Omega Star 7. Now that's a bad place with even better people. The name's Slip. Just Slip. I'm a bounty hunter. Together with my best friend Sol and some scrapper named Trey, we solve the issues of the despondent people of the Outlands. With guns. Really, really big guns. Shoot blasters first. Ask questions later. That's the way of these world world stars. So, let me be the first to say, welcome to Omega Star 7. While it started out as an actual play podcast of a science fiction role-playing game, Omega Star 7, created by Skylar Giordano, is now an audio drama, though perhaps an unconventional one. In a galaxy known as the Sometime Somewhere sits a cluster of wild stars known as Omega Star 7. These are the tales of the crews who dare to call this place home. Sardonic, self-aware, and a little bit silly, Omega Star 7 is what you'd have if a famed science fiction satirist set out to write Dune and ended up with Star Wars. With influences ranging across George Lucas, Douglas Adams, and Cowboy Bebop, Giordano uses improvised dialogue, nostalgic music, and a DIY aesthetic to create an experience that may remind listeners of goofing around with your friends. The first episode of Omega Star 7, titled Welcome Aboard the Outlander, tells the story of how bounty hunters Slip and Saul pick up a new crewmate, Trey, and how a mysterious cartel figure appears out of Slip's past. A brief word of warning, there is some mature humor discussed in our interview. I spoke with Skylar via Zoom. Tell us a little bit about Omega Star 7 in your own words. So I look at uh, Omega Star 7 like it's a cathartic look at nostalgia. I just kind of wrote a story that's based off all the tropes that I grew up with growing up in a household that really loved science fiction and action movies. I just kind of boil it all down into a... I kind of interface that with the stuff I personally like and what my family likes. And I just kind of came up with a fun story that's not really taking itself too seriously until it needs to. What is nostalgic for you? What are some of those tropes that you like? So growing up, I watched the movie Heavy Metal. I mean, I'm a little young to be there when it came out, but uh, I watched it. And uh, a lot of the music, I think the most nostalgic part about Megastar 7 is the music. I use a lot of analog instruments when I make the music. I like to throw it back to stuff that I grew up with, and that's kind of been part of my life forever. There's something about like how things were done in the 80s and 90s and 70s that I just hasn't been replicated in these days. So Now, you're a musician, um, and you've written music for the, the show? When the show was first put together, it was, it was a tabletop role-playing game podcast, and uh, alongside it, I was working on a concept album with a drummer friend of mine. A lot of it, we were just like, let's just set out to write some like real just riffy black sabbath type stuff and uh 
where we couldn't think of the names for the demos for the songs. And I just started naming off stuff from the role playing game that I had come up with for the podcast. And they just kind of got intertwined together. And uh, I think the music has helped shape the show. I write all of the music except for the uh, silly parts. And anything that's royalty free, I will uh, take the MIDI from that and run it through my synths. But everything else is written by me. Yes. For those of you that maybe are, don't know what a, an actual play podcast is, can you kind of describe what that is? It's basically in the shortest story possible. It, it's a podcast that is you listening to a tabletop role playing game. A lot of them vary from just how realistic they are, and there's a lot out there that are much more audio drama than they are game. So it varies from podcast to podcast, but I guess at the core, they're playing a game. Right. I think that one of the most famous ones, of course, is Critical Role. Yes. And uh, I know that's very popular. Let's start with the first incarnation of Omega Star 7, sure. which was this, this actual play. How did you get into this? What made you want to do a podcast about your role-playing game? Well... I was too afraid to do an audio drama. Leading up to the podcast, I was doing a lot of TikToks based off of like game mastering tips that I was offering people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of got like a bug in my ear that I should take these ideas and do a tabletop game. So we started streaming a couple and seeing how that would go. And then I hit up a few of my friends who were like on these streamed tabletop games. And I was like, maybe we should just do a podcast. So we wrote it to be 50% audio drama because a lot of the scenes were just, we said, no more game right now. Let's just do a scene real quick. And then in between those scenes that we worked out together, we would do the game. It was just a training wheels, I'd put it. It was like training wheels for an audio drama. And so this was a collaborative effort? Yes. You said you were afraid to do an audio drama. What were you afraid of? The writing. And uh, if I'm being honest, I still don't write the show. <laughs> I struggle with ADHD and uh, I'll sit down and I'll write and what ends up happening is I stop writing and I step back and I write plot points. And then I hope that one day I'll pick up those plot points and fill in between the gaps. And I never do. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I should write it. I got in my own head about it. And then I was like, you know, we can just play a, a tabletop game. We can just make it seem like it's an audio drama, but it's a game because we all felt that we were comfortable with that. And I think a lot of people do what makes them feel comfortable. But, you know, I think a lot of people are in the same boat, maybe not struggling with ADHD, but I think there's a lot of people that have half finished novels sitting on their desktop or an idea that they just wish they had the time to follow up on. I'm an aspiring writer myself. And, uh, you know, it took me like six years to write my first novel because I would always find a reason not to. You know, it was work yep. or it was family or it was something else. And those things are important, right? You know, there are things you need to take care of and there are things you want to be a part of. But it's always easy to sort of find a way to put off things. And it is a little scary. It's a little terrifying to sort of put yourself on the page and then hope something good comes out of it. So what changed? What made you want to switch from the actual play to uh, an actual audio drama? The show kind of fell apart when we had our second child. We finished the season and we we're like, we'll take a break. We'll figure it out and we'll go from there. About eight months went by. Uh, you know, this is the beginning of 2021. I texted everybody from the group. One person said they were way too busy to start. We And then I guess everybody pretty much said that. One person got a new job. Another person was moving. And another person uh, just had too much going on. But one person, Joe, who's on the show, was like, I'm down. Let's do it. And then a friend of mine who was also in this band i was like you do a lot of voices do you want to just come do this and then i felt like inside i had to do that i had to see if i could do it and i 
I guess over the course of the year, I had like a catharsis about just being a little more impulsive instead of just always trying to play it safe. And we just met up and said, let's just see what comes out. And that was the first episode. And the writing process on that, a lot of the dialogue is improvised or in the moment. Is that fair uh, to say? I would say 80 to 90% of the dialogue is improvised. Yeah, there's. it's a very kind of loose, kind of flowing kind of thing. Um, yes. And you're writing plot points and people are sort of chipping yeah. in with, right. You know, one of the things I got from that was I did listen to a bit of your actual play. And, you know, one of the things I think is appealing for people who are fans of those is that it feels like you're just hanging out with friends and participating indirectly in a game session. Yeah. What are you doing right now? Um... I'm just sort of drinking, uh, telling stories about... Um, well, there's my, no one else my, in the bar. There's no one else in the bar at all? Except for the robot that's serving you drinks. I am telling the robot stories that he's probably heard a lot He is already. programmed to only serve drinks. Well, so okay. you're just talking to him like an I'm talking, to, I'm talking to him, yeah. And you, just, you're like, you know what that feels like. He's like, would you like tequila with your... Oh, but you're the you're the best friend I've had. <laughs> <laughs> you always know what to say to me, man. Having this sort of improvised dialogue that you have in the in the first episode of the new Omega Star Seven, um, it does kind of have that same feel of just people hanging out and and having fun, but at the same time, you're telling a story. Yeah, I, uh, that's definitely what we were shooting for. I know uh, I showed a few people before it came out, and one person was like, "This is like watching two friends roast each other," or like. <laughs> right. uh, Another person was like, I can see the tabletop RPG roots because a lot of the things we do would definitely be things that characters would say around a table at a D&D session because we all, we all do play D&D together still. It's just we didn't want to do a podcast for it anymore. That hasn't stopped. There's been a few times that we've written a few lines or there's some stuff that's said in the show that's just way too polished to be improvised. Mm-hmm. I took a cue from, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Thor Ragnarok, but that's kind of <laughs> where... That's where the concept came from. Taika Waititi, uh, when he did the sh- when he did the movie, he wrote the narrative for it, and then a lot of the scenes they would just take a bunch of different improvised takes and see which one was the best. The part about Omega Star Seven that really ties me to it is I like that my friends have a say in what they're doing, and I'm not just forcing them to tell my story. They feel like they're part of it. Were there any specific challenges um, from converting from an actual play into a regular style audio drama that you wrestled with? Honestly, it was way easier than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be the most difficult. James and Joe were like, you just need to chill, man. First session to see what happens. We'll just, let's just, if it's bad, it's bad. I was freaking out. I was coming up with all these different ideas to like replace the game. I was like, what if we do a talk show? What if we do all these framing devices? And eventually we're just like, let's just see what happens. Now, you have an overall narrative. There is an overall arching storyline. Yes. You plot that out ahead of time. What's your process on approaching the story? So I'll, uh, I'll align this with my dungeon mastering style because I think it's the exact same. I have a vinyl scene in my head and I have all this stuff that's already in the story, hooks that I've already put in from the tabletop game. So right now I'm just kind of letting it free flow until like we feel that there's a natural progression towards this ending. I have no idea how long it's going to go on for. So I guess to answer your question, um, I have a final scene and I have a bunch of stuff that I want to happen, but I don't want to force any of it. So it sounds to me like you're approaching this sort of in a uh, let's see what happens or you'll see if something inspires you or something comes out that maybe you didn't expect and incorporate that into the storyline as you go along. Is that fair to say? That's 100 percent. That's exactly what it's like. Uh, Sometimes we will come up with parts during the recording that we're like, that would, that makes so much sense if we say this here. 
we like to fill plot holes as we go. Like what happened with this in the third season or like the third episode of the, the season zero. And I was like, here's a perfect time to answer that question right now. And then we just make it happen along the way. One of the things I really find interesting about Omega Star 7 is that you're doing a lot of world building and not necessarily just in the way of sort of dropping little hints or setting a mood, but you're actually talking about places and products and people like you have commercials, for example, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the episode uh, yeah. to products that that are ostensibly exist in this Omega Star 7 world. Calling all cool kids and larvae out there. Get ready to set your tasters to fun with Quixo's Orange Drink. The quickest way to quench your thirst, build up a big old burst of energy, and give your skin a healthy green glow. Now available for a limited time in five collector cans. Or if you're a Ballardian, you can just eat the can. Quixo's Orange Drink, definitely not made for oranges. Why commercials and how, how much depth have you put into developing this fictional world? I'm going to poke a hole through everyone who thinks that like this show is so much smarter than it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I use something I call the Lucas method, George okay. Lucas. And right. what he, there's a story that Mark Hamill said. I think it was Mark Hamill. They were at a reading and uh, they said, how do you pronounce Kashyyyk? Is it Kashik or Kashyyyk? And George Lucas just sat back and said, say it however you want. It's a regional dialect. And there's <laughs> something about that story that has resonated in me so much. For example, in, a, in, a, in an episode that just released today, Space Castle, I had them do a, like, they gave me 10 minutes and I, I cut it down to five of just their show where they just make up their own stuff. If it seems like it fits in Omega Star 7, it probably does. And that makes the world feel bigger than it actually is. It's a smart way to free yourself creatively. Sometimes there are stories that need to be very carefully plotted. And then other times you can allow yourself to this is funny, and so I'm going to put it in. Um, yeah. I think that can serve uh, a story like Omega Star 7. Since you brought up Space Castle, you have been trying to get a lot of guest appearances. In fact, I know yes. this new episode has got a ton of voice actors that are joining you. What is your interest in having guests on your show? I come from a music scene that prides itself in its DIY ethics. There was a big punk scene from where I'm from, and uh, it became metalcore. But a big thing is like community and being DIY and do things yourself. Like this podcast is 100% self-produced by me. I care about like those DIY ethics and community ethics. I really like including other people so they feel like they're part of this world. And to be totally honest, like it helps serve the show as well because it helps that it helps people want to talk about it and share it. And if, you know, I, I find ways that we can help each other. What did you want to accomplish in the first episode of your new Omega Star 7? We wanted to establish the characters and the mood of the show and everything the show can be. I think the episode, when you look at it from like a critical lens, it has a, it's very disjointed. I would say it flows, but stuff kind of comes out of nowhere. The intention was give like an appetizer of everything the show can be. You lean into the whole uh, nuts joke um, <laughs> at yeah. the beginning. I mean, that does set up that there is a kind of um, like a fraternity like oh, atmosphere yeah. between. It's, uh... the... it's about the nuts that are going missing. You nuts? Yeah, my nuts. Are you eating them again? You think I'm eating your nuts? I do. I have a severe nut allergy. I don't believe you. I've been your friend for 10 years. You're gonna trust the word of this kid we've known for like a week? 
it's him. Uh, guys, I, I, I don't even know where he keeps his nuts, so, like, how could I eat them if I don't know where they are? Don't lie to me. I, well, I, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, again, I don't want to cause any trouble. I just, I don't know where his nuts are, so... so we've been friends for ten years. I know how much those things mean to you. He does have a point, kid. Okay, but, like, again, I don't know where you keep your nuts. So, like, how would I eat them if I can't even find them? Like, I can't put them in my mouth if I don't know where to find the nuts. He got those nuts from his planet. His mother gave him those nuts. And you've been sneaking into his room, getting under the covers, reaching down into that sack he keeps them in, and putting the munching nuts right in your mouth, haven't you? I, I, no, um, is that what, he sleeps with his nuts? In that mix. I, I tell everyone this. They're, they're always like, the nut scene was a little long. And I'm like, just so you know, it was five minutes long. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had, my wife told me, one of my best friends was like, the scene's a little long. And I was like, okay, we'll cut it down a little more. And uh, I, I cut it down to the point where I couldn't cut any more out without it like losing the net. Because like, I don't like retaking stuff. There is no retakes on lines. It's whatever we recorded has to become an episode. I don't know how it happens. So... I stand by the nut scene because like a fraternity or a stoner comedy, it's supposed to be a little uncomfortable on the ship. I, I try to visualize just how personal the crew gets with each other with that stupid, uncomfortable nut bit. But you do mix in some drama there. Slip has a, a past, a new mysterious contact uh, who knows him, but Slip doesn't know who this is. When the war ended 10 years ago, and the rift regions of Omega Star 7 were free from the Seven System Federation, the real problem started. The cartel was always an issue, but with no seat of power, the Overlord took hold. No one's ever seen him. They've only seen his overseers. Vok was one of them, a shrewd amphibious creature, sadistic and cunning. All things considered, I was glad we were on his side. But I was about to find out we were going to have a new ally. Hey, Vok, I picked up that kid you're looking for. Wait a minute. You're not Vok. Ah, Slip. What a surprise. A pleasant one, to be sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pleasure's all mine. I'm here to tend in a bounty to Vok. So there are definitely seeds of something more yes. that are happening there. Is this first episode typical of the format for the other episodes to come? I can't say that uh, the first episode is indicative of any of it. I think uh, every episode has such a character to it. We play on a lot of different tropes. The first episode was kind of everything. The second episode was kind of like a Western. The third episode was like kind of like a, a, a suspense story that was humorous because of the dialogue. And then we did a beach episode for the fourth episode. So the closest thing I can like align it to is Watanabe animes, which is like Cowboy Bebop or Samurai Champloo or... Right. Space Dandy. You know, when you watch those shows, there's like an underlining story going on with at least one of the characters, if not all of them. But every episode's super episodic and different. And that's kind of like what we were going for. Like you're coming in for a treat every time. Like you're not going to know what to expect. You said you struggled with ADHD. Yes. How does that impact the way you work? ADHD, the problem with ADHD, especially doing a creative thing, is you want to do a million things at once. And you never know which way to go. So like I was a musician, I do an album with a band and I would love it. And then I'd try to start a side project because I want to do something different. I just couldn't find a place that I wanted to be. But then I started Megastar 7 and I kind of found that to balance a mental disorder like ADHD, what you have to do is you have to consolidate your passions. So 
if you look at our Instagram or uh, Twitter, you'd see that there's a lot of graphic design and I do all that. <laughs> I do all the music, do a lot of producing and editing. I, it's a little bit of everything that of my, are my passions. And I, so the difficult part is staying on track. The easy part is the fact that I can consolidate all the things that I want to do into one thing. How do you stay motivated with all these other ideas uh, and impulses and things that you want to do? I had a pretty bad addiction to social media. And uh, I, I find that it really helps me to post on like on a, on a Megastar 7 as funny as I want to be. Or if I want to post something serious or heartfelt, I'll do that. And do all the stuff I would have done on my personal page to like just my friends, to like the world and to people who support us. I find that the feedback that I get, it helps remind me that the show is doing something. But what helps me stay motivated the most is when I'm recording and there's a part that makes me laugh so much <laughs> that I have to stop producing for a second just to, I'll, I'll like, I'll export it and I'll just walk outside with my headphones on and listen to it over and over again so I can get the giggles out trying to edit it down. I can't laugh at the jokes that I write, but the jokes that I caught me and my friends doing together, I will laugh at for hours. Yeah. You know, you talked about social media. I suffer actually from anxiety. With me, it's really easy for me to get on social media and then start getting into sort of a, a negative talk loop, you know, in my oh, head. Yeah. I know. Um, and social comparison and all this kind of stuff. I think one of the nice things, though, is that the audio drama community in particular is very welcoming and supportive. Yes. Um, it's a very positive atmosphere, at least the parts of it that I've seen. Success is so hard to gauge for per person, but if you want to get you want to get more listeners, I think the only way to do it's through like Twitter and Instagram and social media because you got the forge connections somewhere. People have to engage, right? It's yes. not it's not enough just to sort of spam your ad on your account over and over again. You've got to reach out. We ran one ad for the first teaser, and uh, you know it did okay. And I don't know, I just. Uh, I was sitting with the guys and I was like, you know, I don't want to spend money paying a corporation to put us at the bottom of a list because we gave them almost no money. So what we decided to do, which has helped us immensely, and I recommend it to anybody because it helps the community, reach out and offer your services and time. If you were going to spend $100 on an ad campaign, well, why not just save your $100 and donate some of your time? I think if you help someone that they'll remember you forever and it doesn't help anybody to just give Twitter 50 bucks to put your ad out there because it goes away and then you have nothing to show for it, but like maybe a couple extra views on your video or podcast. So how do you measure success? I'll tell you, um, I, I've, I listened to your show. I was not kidding. I, lo I love this show. I'm <laughs> glad to be part of it. And uh, well, I'm glad you're on the show with us. I will. I'll be the first person to say that I love looking at those numbers. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> I, I love, I will refresh every hour and be like, where is it at now? I find that immersion therapy really helps. It used to be really debilitating to do it. Like, just be like, oh, I'm getting Nova, but I had like all these likes and I only got one extra download. Seeing that every week our numbers go up, that's one way I gauge it. Another gauge is just communication with our podcast or people sharing it and saying, hey, we like this or that's really funny or even negative stuff. I love getting criticism because at least someone took the time to listen. But above all, I'll say it again. If I'm laughing while I'm doing the production, that's a success to me. Do you have any advice for people who want to get into audio drama? Yes, I do. Okay. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> ADHD.
when you want to start an audio drama, you just have to do it. I know that's like the most cliche or maybe it's even like a little bit reductive to be like, just do it. I'm talking, you know, $250 mic right now. The obviously our podcast sounds good because we put work into it. But our first episode ever was done with a $100 Audio-Technica, a 2011 Mac Mini, a single Blue Yeti for the whole <laughs> table. I'm not a huge Joe Rogan fan, but I'll listen to his first 100 episodes once in a while to remind myself that quality comes in time <laughs> and effort. Right. But your show is not real until it's real. And once you start, because again, that was my biggest struggle. I'm, this is advice to my past self. But once you start, it's all downhill. Our entire first season was a test run to see if we could even do it. If I didn't put it out, I wouldn't have come back to it. It's all, it all happened because I started. Either compromise and make your show work or don't take no for an answer and make it work. I hear great concepts for shows and they just, people get stuck on the writing and I'm like, and I, I can't be one to speak on this because I, most of my shows improvised, but I think- It could be the writing or it could be the, the technical aspects of it, or it could be the music or, you know, there's lots of different moving parts and any one of them could cause someone to say, well, as soon as I get this one thing figured out, mm. then I'll be able to start. If you're always finding a reason not to start, then maybe you'll never get started. Yeah. Having said that, I think it's also important that you acknowledge that, well, I can't do X, but maybe I can change the product so that we can do it without X and that way we can actually do the product. I'm a firm believer that you can make anything happen if you meet the right people and you keep working towards it. The real advice is maybe not get started, like just do it. My, my real advice is don't stop. What's next for you? Ride Omega Star 7 as far as we can with this story and then write another one. I think that's our plan. I just love Omega Star 7. And I love other people. I love my friends' audio dramas and I love what we're doing with Omega Star 7. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Ah, the rift. I always hated the rift. A desolate place filled with the scam and villainy that was rejected from that desert planet everyone's always talking about. Being born here is probably the second worst thing that could happen to someone in Omega Star 7. The first being spaghettified by a black hole and served with a pair of meatball moons from the Vangle solar system. That's a favorite dish by the gigantic Gola people of Kadash, if you can believe it. You may think I'm joking, but remember Ohuli's motto. We serve all patrons any size. And like all things washed up by the sea of stars that is a megastar seven, we ended up at an Ohuli's house at Good Eats Square. Slip, are you talking to yourself again? Put out, it's my podcast. Get out of here. In many ways, Omega Star 7 is a love letter to sci-fi titles of the 80s. But while Giordano's improvised approach to storytelling leads to unpredictable results, it does give the show a kind of radical freedom to lean into its ideas and, above all, have fun with them. Omega Star 7 is available on most major podcast platforms, or see the show notes for webpage links. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.